0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church, if I haven't been able to say that to you just yet. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 14. As you turn there, uh, don't forget Dave and Chris are in Malaysia. Pray for them as they're encouraging our, our global outreach partners. We're continuing on in the sermon. In fact, today's sermon is very closely related to what Dave was preaching on last week. Uh, last week we were in the book of Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12, and a lot of Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 was about opinions, about people who had disagreements. So what was going on in Rome at the time is you had two factions within the body of Christ. One of the factions said, you know what, the, the food out there, the meat that you can buy, it might have been sacrificed to an idol. Or to a false god, and so to go to the market and buy food would then mean that we are participating in this false worship to these false gods. Other people within the church said, "You know what? Meat is meat. There's no other god but our god. So I'm I'm going to like bon appetit, and I'm going to help myself to a steak, right? So those are the kind of two factions in the church, Uh, and so Paul was addressing this issue. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, even through 15, he's talking about this issue, this issue of food, this issue of of opinions. And we find that when we gather together as a body of Christ, we find that we are are a people of of lots of opinions. Uh, So I I grew up Baptist, and there was always this old Baptist joke that whenever you get two Baptists together and they're talking about one issue, there's at least three different opinions. And uh, so that, that that was my people. We were an opinionated people. But we have to ask the question, how can we be a diverse people with lots of different deeply held convictions and opinions and still be united in Christ? As I was reading, I was thinking a lot about how this is also true in marriage. Um, so my wife and I, Lindsay, we've, we've been married for 12 years now. Uh, one, one of the beautiful things about two services is... Is one, you're able to correct things. Um, So first service, I said we were married for 13 years. Uh, (laughs) Just 12 years. Uh, Yeah, I probably shouldn't tell people when I make mistakes. Y'all just wouldn't know. But but anyways, we've been married for 12 years, and and that year before we were married, you know, so the 13th year, uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together. We lived an hour and a half apart, so we didn't see each other every day. But man, we were on the phone for at least an hour, I don't know what we talked about, uh, but we did. We talked every day, at least once to twice a week. We would we'd hang out and go out on a date and talk the whole time. Uh, and so we, we spent a lot of time together. We knew each other really well. Uh, but when we got married, we figured out that we really didn't know each other at all, uh, which is always the case in marriage. But, you know, we, we found out, man, we fold our clothes differently, we folded our towels differently. We, we loaded dishwashers differently. And, and there are all these thousands of little things in our marriage that we did differently. Uh, and, and, of course, I married a, a graceful woman who has great mercy and forgiveness on her husband. Uh, and it, we worked through all those things pretty easily. But oftentimes in marriages, it's those little things that can end up causing Conflict and division and cause resentment. It's the shoes left in the middle of the floor, the wet towel laid out across the bed. It's it's not putting your dirty dishes away or the hair in the sink or in the tub. And it's all these small issues that tend to cause strife within a marriage. In some cases breaking marriages apart. Whenever that happens in a marriage. It happens because the husband and wife lose focus. They lose focus on what's most important in the marriage. What's most important in the marriage is love towards one another. It's faithfulness to one another. What's most important in the marriage is the husband and wife each giving of themselves to the other to help that person to look more like Jesus Christ. And here we always thought it was just for our own personal happiness. No, it's it's about these other things. And so if you keep those things first, love, faithfulness, mutual building up in Christ, if you keep those things first, all those other opinions tend not to become a big deal. You work through them. You modify and you make it work. When we come together as a church, it's not just two people coming together. it's, It's hundreds of people coming together in one building at one time. And we thought it was complex with one man and one woman finding all these differences. When you get a body this size together, we find that our differences uh, can be far more drastic. So what we wanted to address in our passage today is how do we, as a people very diverse with many different opinions, how do we maintain unity? How do we pursue Christ together together and love, so that, that that's kind of the topic at what we're going for today. So, Book of Romans, chapter fourteen, verses thirteen through twenty-three. Let's read that. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. That nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclear for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, um, I just pray for your aid this morning as we discuss how to have different convictions and different opinions and yet still love with one another. Father, we pray that when examples are given, that they are not taken personally. Uh, but Father, are received in the spirit in which they are given of, of love and kindness meant to give grace and for the upbuilding of one another. Father, we pray this in jesus name amen so I, i've been working in church been in the church my whole life, been working in churches for goodness about half my life, uh, and I love it and in that time. Especially as a small group, pastors, I've been in lots of groups get together before a Bible study and they just start talking about life, about opinions, about convictions. And oftentimes, these convictions that we have are lifted from a, a, a point of opinion and conviction and are lifted up almost to be a, a gospel truth to where if you do not believe it, you must be a, a sinner separated from God. All right, and what I want to do right now is something very dangerous, all right? I want to list some of those issues. Uh, They're issues that you've probably heard in small groups, in Bible studies, on Facebook for sure. And know when I put these out here, I'm not thinking about any particular group, any particular conversation. These happen all the time, all right? So here, here are some of these convictions that we have that are sometimes lifted up to the point of, of gospel truths, uh, uh, opinions that sometimes divide us. One that, that I hear very often, especially in this part of the world, is this idea of how you educate your children. Do we decide to homeschool? Do we decide to send our kids to private school? Do we send our kids into the public school? This decision uh, is, is usually birthed out of deep convictions in the parents, but is oftentimes lifted up to be a universal truth where if you don't do it the way I do it, you're doing it wrong. But when we go to the Bible and we say, how does the Bible teach us to educate our children? It doesn't list any of these. It, it, it's, it, it, it has no voice. There's some wisdom we might use, but it doesn't say this is the only way to educate your children. There are other issues. If, if you thought that one was controversial, just, just wait. Um, how, uh, whether or not you choose to vaccinate your children... It's a big one right now. Uh, the Bible says nothing about it. You can be a faithful Christian and vaccinate your children. You can be a faithful Christian and not vaccinate your children. You can follow Jesus faithfully in both decisions. But what we do is we take, we take convictions that we have about our children's health and we raise them up to a point of like religious fervor to the point where oftentimes it divides the body of Christ. We have issues in our church where people disagree about whether you vote Republican or Democrat or something else, about what music you listen to, whether it's secular or only Christian music, about what people watch, about diets. And all these issues of conviction and opinion can be raised up to what is ultimate. So in our passage today, Paul is asking the question, how can we be a diverse people, a people who have different opinions, a people who have different deep-seated convictions? How can we disagree about these things and yet still be a united body in Jesus Christ? Paul tells us, I think, in verse 17, where he says that we have to keep the first things first. Verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God... Excuse me. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways we maintain unity as the body of Christ, we have so many different opinions, is that we keep the first things first. Just as in a marriage, you keep love and faithfulness and mutual building up with one another first. In the church, we keep the kingdom of God first that we believe that Jesus Christ is our king and we are his people and we are his ambassadors in this world, spreading the good news of forgiveness of sins, of reconciliation with God. We keep that first. And in this passage, he brings up something even more specifically than that. He said, In the kingdom of God, when the body of Christ gathers together, one of the things that is of first most importance is righteousness. For the kingdom of God is not of just eating and drinking, but is of righteousness. Now, whenever we read Scripture, Scripture will sometimes use the same word, but use it in different ways. So it's always important for us to understand the meanings of words when we read. Up to this point in Romans, Paul has been using this word righteousness to describe the state that we are in when we are in Christ. So if we are in Christ, his blood covers us, and we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. God, uh, our sins are justified by God. But in this reference, he has a, a different nuance to this word righteousness. Here, he doesn't mean that state that which we are in when we are in Christ, but rather when Paul says the kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, he is saying it's of right living. It's of being obedient to God, of following Jesus When we come together as the body of Christ, what we are doing is we are coming together in order to fight our sin, in order to to, to rid our lives of it, to pursue holiness, to be a people set apart by God and for God. Sometimes I think we, we forget this. One of my first churches I worked for, I was 19, I was a youth pastor. Uh, and you do have to scratch your head and say, why would a church hire a 19-year-old to be a youth pastor? It's like the blind leading the blind. Um, but I was losing my hair. I didn't tell the kids how old I was. They thought I was much older, so I, I let them believe that. But one of my students was a junior hire there. Uh, he's, he's a youth pastor himself now, and and he posted something on, on his Facebook the other day. Um, he said, if your newfound understanding of grace leads to less holiness, less church, and less service. It isn't grace that you found. Oftentimes when we use the word grace, we say, oh, I, I have the grace of God in my life, therefore I am free to do whatever I want to do. That's not grace. But rather when we receive the grace of God, when we receive the Holy Spirit, that, that then pushes us forward to pursue grace holiness, to pursue a righteous type of living. So when we come together as the body of Christ, that is one of our utmost pursuits. It is your job to to help me to become more holy. It's my job to help you to become more holy. It's your job that whenever I'm sinning, you can look into my life and say, Stephen, you're not doing right. It happened just this week. Whenever I, I went to a friend and, and I was complaining, I, I have this like unspiritual gift of complaining about every situation. I could be in the absolute best situation in the world, and I could still complain about it. Uh, and it, like, I, I make light of it, but it, it is a legitimate sin in my life. And I was with this friend of mine who's a member of this church, and I was complaining, uh, and he just called me out on it out of love, of helping me to become more like Jesus. And that's what we ought to be doing for one another, helping each other to become more righteous in our living. This can only happen if we are a known people. We must know one another. That's why it's important for the church, God's people, to gather together. I was recently reading a podcast about ch- uh, listening to a podcast on church attendance, how people uh, are, are coming less. And this guy said it's a supply and demand thing, that there's such a supply of preaching out there that people come less to church. But I really appreciate the conclusions that they were making and that just because you're listening to a podcast of a sermon doesn't mean you're part of a church there. It doesn't mean that you're involved in a church. You've heard a good sermon. I hope it's a good sermon. But you still need to be gathering together with a local body, other brothers and sisters, to be known and to know and to help sharpen one another, to help encourage one another on in this journey we are on. The way we do this at Grace Bible Church is through small groups, uh, we have groups that meet throughout the week, throughout our cities, where we gather together to study God's Word, to pray, and to challenge one another in our walks. Uh, I know in the small group that I led last year, we'd have very direct applications of this is how we ought to respond to the text. And we'd oftentimes the next week say, all right, how, how did that go for you? We were trying to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's, that's where we do that. It's within... The context of small groups. You say, "Well, small groups are on break right now, Stephen." So, what do we do? Uh, join one. August twentieth, about a month from now, is when we do registration. In September, our groups are starting back up. If you haven't been involved in a small group, I encourage you get involved and, and go uh, without your guard up. Go to be known and to know this way of being righteous. Uh, is, not, is not just for our own holiness, but it's also our witness to the world. The world should be able to look at the church and say, the church is something different. How can the church be so diverse and have so many different opinions, but yet still remain and be unified? That, that's why we need to, to, to be diverse, to have different opinions, to have different convictions, but yet still be one, pursuing righteousness. Uh, speaking of podcasts, I was, I was listening to a podcast. This one was earlier in the week. And, and it was by this, this interviewer I like. The person being interviewed was a pastor I have some serious disagreements on. But it was still a good interview. One of the things I really liked about what he said was this. He was he was describing his church situation. He's he's out in California, uh, and he has hundreds of thousands of, of young people flocking to his church, uh, going through his training school, being sent out, And the interviewer was asking him, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, to begin with, we just have to lay a foundation of righteousness because they just just don't know what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. So some of the things that we might just take as general knowledge, because we grew up in church, they don't know anymore. When we grew up in church, we knew, all right. If you are in a dating relationship, you don't live together until you're married. You don't have sex until you're married. And that was just common knowledge in the church. But because times have changed, that common knowledge has gone away with. So the man being interviewed said, we have to kind of lay that foundation again. And the interviewer said something along these lines. He said, well, that's great. You are giving them an alternative way to live life. And the pastor stopped him and said, I'm I'm not giving them an alternative way to live life. I'm I'm giving them the correct way to live life. It's the world around us that is giving us alternative ways to life. But Scripture is clear on what it looks like to live a godly life, and I'm just trying to point them back to that. Whenever we as a church pursue righteousness together, when we fight sin together, when we, when we try to serve together, not only does it help us become, look, look more like Christ, but it's also a witness and a testimony to our world that we serve a true and living God. What are the first things that keep us unified? It is our common cause in the kingdom. It is this common pursuit of righteousness. And according to verse 17, it's also a common pursuit of peace. There is a type of righteousness out there that has no regard for peace. This, I think, is oftentimes could be labeled as fundamentalism uh, or legalism, where we want righteousness, but we have no regard for peace. True righteousness has a regard for peace. We are to pursue both together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness of, with which no one, without which no one will see God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. When we have a pursuit of righteousness and peace, what we find is that you have a community filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And when you either remove righteousness or you remove peace, what you do is you grieve the Holy Spirit and you have a body filled with with contention. If we are to be a united body, we must be a body that pursues righteousness and pursues peace both at the same time. This happens by, by putting other people before us, putting their needs, their interests before our very own. That leads us to the second thing our text tells us here, and that is, man, if, if we're to keep the first things first, what are we to do with these disagreements? How do we engage our family of faith when we disagree with them? He teaches us this truth in verse 19. He says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This word upbuilding, one of the root words is the word house. So it's like you are building a house. What type of house do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a house of contention and division, or do you want to live in a house of peace? I, I, after reading this text earlier in the week, man, I started trying out some new language with my children. Uh, I have four kids. Uh, three of them like to bicker, complain, fight, get each other in trouble. You, you know the drill. Uh, the fourth one will join that whenever he can talk. Um, so engaging my children, whenever I'd start seeing that type of behavior happen, I'd say, "All right, let's stop." What you just said, daughter. What you just said, son. Are you creating peace in our house, or are you creating division and anger in our house? And it was, it was I mean, even at their young ages, they could discern between peace and division, or peace and anger. They knew what their actions were were doing. And so when it comes to our body, the body of Christ, Grace Bible Church, when we are together in a small group or we are having a conversation at a restaurant or in the hallways and we have these different convictions come up and we have these different opinions rise to the surface, we have to ask ourselves, is what I am saying, is it bringing peace to our house or is what I am saying and conveying bringing division from our, to our house? And I also want to say this. I feel like I say this every time I'm up here to preach. Um, so I might sound like a broken record. But when it comes to Facebook, if you post an article or if you share an article and that article is using inflammatory language, you are in essence, by sharing that article, joining in that conversation of inflammatory language. If you would not say those words to a friend in a hallway at church, then there's a very good chance that those words are also not appropriate to share on your social media. We have to remember that whatever face we have on social media is seen by our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are either building them up and edifying them, or we are tearing them down and bringing division. Paul talks about this also in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. He says in verse 14, "...no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves." and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. If you have a conviction, if you have an opinion that you think is right and good, man, that's wonderful. But in your sharing of that conviction, you have to share it in such a way that gives grace, that builds up and doesn't tear down. How do we engage our family of faith on disagreements? We have to make sure we are about peace and mutual upbuilding. We do this with our words. second thing he tells us to do for this peace and family disagreements is that we we don't flaunt our freedom. We don't flaunt our freedom. He, He mentions this in verses 13 where he talks about not putting stumbling blocks in front of people. We don't want to trip people up in their Faith. Uh, thought about this whenever we, we went to Guatemala. We just got back a week ago Sunday. It was a great trip. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Uh, just so you know, uh, our missionary there, Natalie, is, is very healthy. She's thriving. Uh, I, I wish you could see her in that environment. It's, it's encouraging to see. Uh, that church we have, the church we partner with in Guatemala, we, we have some differences. We have some differences in points of theology. We also have differences in how we think the church should operate. One of our differences that we have uh, of conviction is that they don't celebrate, in the church we work with, they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter. They, they don't want to do that because they don't want their people, their, in their context, to stumble and fall. Obviously, it's July, and we've got a Christmas tree in the back of our sanctuary right now, Right? We don't have a problem with that. However, I I feel like we have freedom to celebrate those holidays. But whenever I go to Guatemala, say I go in December or I go around Easter time, I'm not going to push my opinions and my views on them. I'm not going to bring wrapped presents wearing a Santa hat. Yeah that, that would offend them. That would make them stumble so I don't want to go there. Paul is saying that if we have convictions, that's good. If we have opinions, that's good. If we have freedom, that's good. However, we should not use those in such a way that makes our brothers or sisters in Christ stumble. Now, he also says that we don't have to let people talk ill of those things, that we don't have to let people talk down on those things, uh, he says in verse 16, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So we can have good conversations about this. Th- this whole passage, this whole chapter, is Paul saying, hey, let's talk about that thing with which we disagree. So we can have conversations where we disagree. We just have to be careful and use tact, use, use, use grace in our words as we have those conversations but we don't want to flaunt our freedom. We don't want to make our brothers and sisters in Christ stumble. He also says we want to have he says we want to have mutual upbuilding and peace. We don't want to flaunt the freedom we have in Christ. And then finally, he also says that we don't want to hold others to the same standard that we necessarily hold. If we have an issue of conviction and conscience and we know it's ours, but someone else disagrees, we don't have to hold them to that same standard. I think we have that happening in my personal family. Uh, so right now, I think well, I think technology is a gift from God. I love technology. I, I like my smartphone. I like that I can look at it and see that for the next seven to ten days we're having a hundred degree temperature. Help us, uh, but I, I like the tool. However, I don't like my kids on that tool. So for my personal family, the conviction that we have is I want to keep my children away from smartphones. I want to keep them away from tablets. I want to keep them away from the TV. I want them to experience the least amount as possible. I want them to be absolutely and utterly bored uh, out of my love for them. I think that is the conviction of my family. I think it's wise. However, if there's a brother or sister in Christ in our congregation that has a different view of things, I'm not going to impose my view upon them on that, on that conviction. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, for me, since that's my conviction... He said, if I break my own conviction, then for me it is a sin. It would be a sin for me to break my own conviction. However, if you you don't have that conviction and you do it, for you it's not a sin. So Paul is saying for us to be unified in a body of faith, we need to have mutual upbuilding. We need not to hold uh, or to flaunt our freedom before other people. And we also, on points of conviction, personal conviction, We can't impose it on other people. So your view on how to educate your kids, on how to discipline your kids, on whether or not to vaccinate, on what you eat, on what you drink, on what you uh, watch—we can't always hold each other to the same convictions, is what Paul is saying. So I think that leads us to our final question this morning, and the question of how do we determine what's an opinion and what's not. I'm going to have to fly through this uh, because we're running out of time, but I think this is a needed answer to this sermon. How do you determine if something is an opinion, if it's a personal conviction, or if it's true for everyone in the body of Christ. And the ultimate answer is what's in the Word of God. We have to read the Word of God to see what it says, to see what is it explicit about, And those things we know are true of each and every individual believer across time and across culture. But there are other issues that are not in the Bible that we just have convictions about. We need to be able to distinguish the difference between what Scripture says and what our deep-seated convictions say and our opinions say. I think we also have to ask the question, what does the church say? What does the church say? God has established the local church. He has given the local church elders, and it's going to look different from place to place. Some elders in one church might come together and say, this is the direction that God is leading our church. And if you are part of that church, then you say, yes, I I will walk in agreement with you, and I see that truth. Other churches might have a different culture, might have a different opinion. So ultimately, it's what the Word of God says, then we have to go down and say, What does the church say? And we also have to ask the question, What does our conscience say? If our opinion, our deep seated conviction, and our conscience says that something is a sin, then we need to do our best to avoid that. Because anything not done in faith is a sin. Throughout our text in Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> Paul keeps using the word uh, destroy, that we don't flaunt our freedom because we don't want to destroy our brother. We don't hold other people to our our convictions because we don't want to destroy the work of Christ. We have to realize that what Christ is building is the church. It's like each one of us is a different stone in that church being built together for his glory. And we have to make sure, as always, that our words and our actions leads to righteousness and peace in the body and not division. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we just pray um, that you would convict us of our sin where we are wrong, and that you would encourage us, O oh Lord, to live in faith, and your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.